This week, we hear from an entrepreneur who helps interior designers succeed in the digital age. Plus, we look at a couple of recent developments in health innovation. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Faiza Ramji, and this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Hi, Faiza. This may not be true, but because I, I, we have a video interface when we record this every week. And so just looking at your space, you strike me as the kind of person who cares about your surroundings. Like you've chosen some like decorative elements. I feel like you care about your living quarters as opposed to like the random jumble that you see behind me. So am I right? You you are right, but it's almost like um, like a soundstage where just what you see looks very nicely curated, <laughs> but everything else around it is like half done. And that's mostly because I get really intimidated and overwhelmed. Once I've put a few pieces in place, then I feel like everything else kind of starts to fall together. But, you know, I just moved about a year ago. And if you were to come to my house right now, half of it is completely undecorated. For that exact reason is I don't know where to start. Once I start, I'm I'm pretty good. Well, I salute you. This is like something that's quite foreign to me. I was thinking about all the different kinds of businesses that we've talked to on the podcast. And there's like guys that make dilution refrigerators for quantum mechanics and artificial intelligence and turning fruit flies into things that make the stuff that you engineer pharmaceuticals out of all a pretty like I fake it pretty good I think when I'm talking to those folks I feel the same this week for our <laughs> topic which is interior design which is just as unfamiliar to me you know what I think uh, I can empathize with you on that it's sometimes sometimes the things that feel almost more nebulous are the things where you start with a blank slate. And that's how I feel about de designing a space or decorating a space is like, I don't, I know what I don't like, but I don't know what I do like. And mm. um, I find that can be almost just as challenging as being really particular and knowing exactly what you, what you like. Right. Well, I feel like then our guest is perfect for you and maybe for me too, to, to at least get my feet into that uh, area. Abby Ayaleya is an award-winning co-founder of Clavis Studio, a design and visualization studio that aims to be an all-in-one platform for interior designers. So it allows them to design and decorate virtual spaces with furnishings and materials that their clients can buy. And it also helps those interior designers with the back end so that as small business owners, they can look after all the stuff that they need to. She just uh, formed a partnership with Artera uh, to showcase Canadian art in the, the VR environments that Clavis has built. And that seemed like a good reason for us to check in on, on what else they're up to. So here's my conversation with Abby Ayaleye of Clavis Studio. Welcome to Bloom. Thank you. It's great to be here. Tell me first, what does Clavis Studio do uh, more than what I just said? Okay, I love that question because we are... Uh a little multifaceted. Um, so at its core, we are a platform for interior designers and decorators to, you know, to design and visualize their space for their clients. We help um, professionals 
um, show what they can do, show their creativity to their clients in a better way, as well as take away the pain of the administrative um, tasks of running a business. So other than showing their clients, you know, just how creative they can be, we also provide tools uh, for running their business, for sending contracts, for getting um, invoices over for scheduling, we kind of provide like an all-inclusive toolbox, we want to say, to to professionals in that field. So is that who your customers then are, is interior designers? Yep, interior designers and decorators. And decorators, okay. Is it like normal people too? Like. <laughs> some design enthusiasts which use yeah. the platform and they're pretty awesome uh we have students who are still in school so who just maybe started the program we've had a variety of people who are just excited about what you know the tool can do and but your main your your core people are the people that are involved in that industry and they're looking for something to make it easier for them to do their work is that fair absolutely yeah yeah and they're looking to do things outside the norm. So use tools that are a little bit more futuristic and a little bit more immersive. And does it help them then uh, get more business for their, for their businesses? Like it shows their clients that they are forward thinking or can come up with more creative ideas? That kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It it's allows them to be a little bit more collaborative with their clients. So people clients want to feel like they had a little bit of, you know, hand in what was designed in their space. So the tool allows them to do that. And so it helps sell the business a little bit better. Right, right. Um, has that kind of structure for the business or the the, the aim changed over time since you founded the company? It- in 2019? Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we used to be B2C. Uh, we started off with um, creating a platform for the average homeowner to, you know, design their space. We, you know, we thought, okay, people want to be able to be creative with their space. So we created a platform for that. But then we realized these homeowners, homeowners still were bringing their interior designers onto the platform to help them design <laughs> So um, as much as we think we're great at designing, we need a little bit of help, you know, from the professionals every now and then. So when we launched and we saw that a lot of professionals were coming on the platform to help their clients, we wanted to open it up a little bit more to other, you know, interior designers and their creators to use our platform for their projects. Do you have competitors in this space? Absolutely. Um, a lot of them in the United States. Um, we have people like House Pro. We have Cool Home. We have, I think, um, um, what what are they called? Mudsy has a uh, pro uh, version that is pretty close to what we do. Um, in an, in the space that we play, we have competitors that do some of what we offer. Um, very little offer end to end. So House Pro, for example, will provide a platform for your you know, for your projects, um, but not necessarily visualization and collaboration. Um, we even think about Wayfair as a competitor because they provide, you know, a whole uh, list or collection of, you know, furniture and furnishings from all around the world, I want to say. And that's pretty much what we do as well. So we see them as a competitor. They provide a little bit of AR in there sort of a competitor as well. Um, 
there are some smaller organizations in Canada that are doing something pretty close. But again, they always offer maybe a smaller section of our end-to-end, um, our end-to-end platform as a whole. I guess that does two things. It tells you there's, you're not alone. Other people thought this was a good idea. And maybe there's potential um, acquisition possibilities oh yes in the future we're gonna you know one of those bigger companies we're gonna tell them how to effectively run their design and visualization business by being acquired yeah yeah (laughs) okay um well tell me how this uh collaboration with artera came about I met Parissa, the CEO at Artera, at one of the DMZ's uh, Amex Blueprint program. She reached out and said, hey, we're in the same field. We should collaborate. And I said, yes, absolutely. And they had the idea of showcasing the uh, Canadian talent on a broader um, uh, view and something a little bit more authentic. Because I think what you find with... um, most exhibitions is there maybe a video of a room or a space. And so we started to think about just how to make it a little bit more immersive and how to make it a little bit more, um, I want to say, almost conversational, encouraging people to talk about the uh, artwork um, while you're both in the space. So we we at Clavio Studio thought, okay, we'll, we'll, design the, we'll design a whole museum and kind of picture it differently for each room. So we will put, we'll create different rooms and create different ideas of how the artwork could be used in that space. So it sort of stimulates conversation or makes people think about how else they could use the art other than in that specific room. So we, um, we started working on this a few weeks ago. The team really came through and excited about what they did. Everything in the space was built from scratch, including wow. the wordings. Wow. <laughs> we created the 3D models, we built the space, we conceptualized it. It was it was a fun project. I'm excited about it. And you know, that was a way to help people kind of see what can be done with the Clavis platform, like what can be built, what can be visualized, what can be shared. So the user experience for um there's a couple user experiences, I think. One is what I can just see by going to your website where I can just sort of 360 degree tour around and, and look at the art and um, get a little bit more information about the pieces of art, I think, or at least look mm-hmm. up closely at it. There's also a, like a, a VR um, experience. So if I had an Oculus, what would I do? Okay, that's the exciting part. I love that part. So if you had an Oculus, you uh, you know go to the site, put it into your put the phone preferably into your headset, and you're there. You click on VR at the bottom right section of the page, and then it just it goes into VR mode, and then you you can walk around in a space, point to get there. So once you point and hold your finger out there for a few seconds, it'll move you over to that to wherever you want to go. Um, pretty cool. Uh, I think what we found really interesting is people would do that and then move really close to a painting to really look at the detail that you would typically miss in a video or a picture. So that's been exciting, just getting that feedback. I would imagine this would be a great experience to bring to trade shows. Uh, is that part of your idea? 
Yeah, we we after we deployed the exhibition, we were like, okay, we should do this more often. This is exciting. We can help organizations visualize better. That's what our platform is for, right? It it was it was an eye opener for sure. Do you have other collaborations kind of in mind with like yet? Like with I'm just thinking that people who represent artists need more ways to get that art in front of the people that might want to buy it. Um, so what, what does that plan or idea look like? Well, the next one we have is in collaboration with some post-secondary institutions in, in Ontario, and it's for the students to showcase their um, projects. So they've, they've been working on a few things, and what they want to do now is have a way to walk through the idea behind what they built. So that one's coming up. We also are looking to help the Black Architect and Interior Design Association um, relaunch next year, the beginning of oh. next year. So we're going to have uh, an exhibition. We're not quite sure how much um, how much we're going to get into when we build it. Is it going to be bigger than the exhibition or smaller? But we have that planned out, so it's going to be virtual as well. And we also have an, another exhibition because Otera gets a lot of artists all the time and a lot of artwork. So we're going to get more exhibitions soon. On Otera. We're going to collaborate with Otera again and do something similar next year. For this first engagement with Artera, what does success look like? We're going to measure success in two ways. The first is just people really engaging and sharing their feedback. What is most important for us is people understanding the possibilities of what has been built. And if if people, I wish we could, you know, hand out VR headsets to everyone who wanted to visit the site because it's pretty cool, I tell you. But just getting people engaged and and talking about it is success for us. Um, People also reaching out to these artists is success for us too because this is our way to showcase their work. And they have pretty awesome stories around how they build things. One of the artists builds with silk. I was like, that's pretty cool. What kind of artwork is that? (laughs) So just really engaging with these people, understanding their thought process, maybe even getting them business as a result of the exhibition. That would be cool. That would be success for us. So you said that this grew out of something at the DMZ in in Toronto. Tell me more about your involvement there, because they went so far as to name you Woman of the Year recently, so or a Woman of the Year. So, <laughs> what what have you been doing with the DMZ? Oh uh, yeah, that was pretty awesome. I was so excited about that. We uh, we after that nomination, there came a call out for BIPOC founders to participate in their Blueprint program, and the Blueprint program is to help. Um, businesses like ours, startups like ours, grow and and you know ex- ex- expand market access. So when we reached out to them, we kind of shared what we were doing and where we were headed, especially with the B two B, and um, we kind of indicated what kind of help we needed. Um, most of the help we needed was around marketing and growth and brand awareness, and we got a little bit of funding from that. And part of the funding also included mentorship peer-to-peer support, um, hearing from VCs, 
you know, other business owners in the space. It's a very well-rounded program. And during the uh, the peer-to-peer support was when I met Parissa. I've also met a few other people that, you know, we're now collaborating. I met Woven Worldwide and they have pretty awesome products. Um, we met a VC as well who shared some of her journey and what she was looking out for, for businesses like ours, which was pretty awesome for us because we are in the capital raise I want to say phase right now. So hearing from a VC was pretty good. And another pretty awesome thing, we heard from a founder who just raised capital. So hearing both perspectives was very helpful. Um, And so having that program provide that kind of information or access has been really beneficial for Clavis. Have you looked into or applied for any of the accelerators that came to to Alberta this year? No, but we plan to next year. So we're looking at Fiverr Global. We're thinking that might be a good fit for us, but we want to build momentum a little bit more before we get into that. You've also been, uh, you won the Alberta Chambers of Commerce Award of Distinction for Newcomer Entrepreneur earlier this year. Last year, you were named Most Promising Startup Entrepreneur uh, by Start Alberta. Obviously, it feels good to get awards, but how does this help you? And does it create pressure on you? Ha! Okay. It helps in that it helps validate what we're doing. When you are running a startup and you're just never taking breaks and working and sharing and learning, um, when you get awards like that, it helps you. It gives you more momentum. It gives you more drive. It encourages you to keep going. And so those awards have been helpful for us. It's been validation. It's helped us open doors to other opportunities as well. So it's it's almost organic PR because people now know about you and they share about you and, you know, they want to know what you do. We get referrals as a result of the program. So it's been really great. But like you said, <laughs> success begets with success. Yeah, um, yeah. Now we're like, ooh, we got that award. We need to prove ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So we've been, this year especially has been pretty interesting because we've spent almost half of the year building. So the remaining half, we're trying to sell and build and sell and just get ourselves right front and center and make sure that we are meeting our revenue targets, we're meeting our business goals, but we're also building what we said we're going to build in the B2B space. So yeah, it's it's been interesting for sure. I bet, I bet. Yeah, it's really hard to to tread water and like keep your head above the water. Uh, <laughs> especially when everybody thinks everything is like amazing, perfect, <laughs> which it's, yeah. uh, it's hard to keep going at the same, like to, to, to build the plane while you're flying it. I guess. <laughs> I love that. I know that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> it. that's literally it. <laughs> I say that cause that's what I'm doing too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good, you understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you also sit on the Innovation Council for Edmonton Unlimited, and you're an associate member of the A100. Why? Why is it important for you to give your time in that way as well? When I set out, or when my co-founder and I, when we set out to start this business, you know, just start engaging with people in the industry. Um, we wanted our perspective to be heard and 
um, being on the growth council has kind of helped with that. Um, as a black female millennial startup founder, I have, I have a very interesting intersectional lens to things. Mm-hmm. So I want to be able to share that uh, and I want to be able to bring my perspective um, to the room and to the table and to the space. And so being a member of the Growth Council has helped me with that. I've met pretty awesome founders as well. Being a member of the A100, I've enjoyed mentorship with other uh, charter members. They've been very uh, supportive and helpful. And I think you will find me more in either the startup innovative space or the women empowerment space. It's, it's, It's all in one for me. I want more women in that space. I want you know, more confident women in that space, not just more women. And I want, I want pers- perspectives to be very, very diverse and intersectional because that's how we're going to make sure that we will build in the city of the future. What more needs to be done to make those places more inclusive and diverse? Because you've made a dent but I'm sure there's more improvement to be made. And it's not all on your shoulders to do. What what do all the organizations in the ecosystem need to do to make sure they're hearing from everyone and helping everyone? You know, I give a, that's a great um, a comment because I gave a, I just completed a survey for, I think it was Rainforest. And um, one of the things that I said there was, I love what we're doing with the Rainforest, but I hope we're also getting the opinions of everyone in the room and not just a specific type of people. Because I think when you, I love how people refer to surveys and data, but don't think about who was surveyed yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. uh, when, when we're talking about it. So for me, it'd be having organizations um, in the space going outside or reaching outside on the margins, going outside on the margins to get input from smaller organizations. Small organizations that serve fellow Edmontonians that probably are not heard from enough. Um, and so that's part of why I do what I do. I want to make sure that we're bringing those people in when we can so that we're a little bit more um, all-encompassing, so to speak. Is there anything about Edmonton that has made it a particularly good place for you to build Clava Studio in? Oh, yes. Um Our mentors, um, we met through a volunteer work that I did with the city. So I was a part of the Women's Advocacy Voice of Edmonton. Then I met Sandra Woitas there. Oh, she's great. (laughs) She's awesome. And I said to her, look, we're trying to do this thing. And she said, bring me your business plan and I will connect you with people. And she did just that. And, you know, she connected me with so many people who never met me, but just accepted me as a result of coming through, you know, coming from Sandra. And these people are still our mentors. They are industry giants. They still, they come through for us. Ralph Young is one of them. Victor Tanti is one of them. And they continue to support us. Uh, I st- we still had lunch a few days ago with Reza Nasri of Landmark. And they just, they, they ask, okay, how can I help? What do you need? What do you, you know, they're always coming through for us. And I don't think a bigger city or a different city would have that personal connection that you get with Edmonton. I mean, there's almost 2 million people here, but you always feel like 
you just need to meet a few people to get to where you're trying to get to. And that's very peculiar to Edmonton, I find. Um, people are supportive. People want to help you. People want to know what you're doing in order to know how to help you. And if they don't know, they will introduce you to someone who knows. So that's, I think that's pretty awesome. Is there anything that's challenging about trying to build this from here? The industry. So the interior design and decorating industry is not as big as other cities here in Edmonton, which means we have to reach out to other cities um, to get connection, to get uh, to continue to build momentum and really to get our names and voices out there. And the industry is known to use particular tools that they've been used to for decades. So um, spending time getting people to the other side, to the SaaS side, has mm -hmm. been interesting. Mm -hmm. um, has been interesting, has come with comments and feedback and thoughts and people, you know, being interested a little bit, but a little cautious. Um, and so I think for us, what we find is we get the support, but within that industry, we still need to work a little bit more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess some of that is meeting people in person, which means you got to like travel, which is time consuming and expensive as well. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned uh, some of the things that you have coming up. So this um, engagement with Artera goes until what date? For a month. So we launched, I think it was last week we launched. So it's just going to run till just before Christmas because... Why not? Why not have sure, something yeah. to talk about that over Christmas? Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been really interesting. I look forward to sharing your story. All right. Thank you for having me. <laughs> So we've spoken to a few other VR innovators in our time here. Um, Align VR is using virtual environments to help with hiring and team building. VR Pathways is using it to deliver cognitive behavioral therapy. What do you think of Clavis Studio's application of this technology? Oh, I think it's brilliant. Um, you know, when I think about these really tight industry verticals, First of all, I like when people focus on a tight industry vertical because I'm sure there's lots of other people who might find Clavis's offering useful, but knowing that it's specifically aimed to help a certain you know type of industry means that it's going to hopefully be more valuable to them rather than just being like kind of okay. Um, I think what's really challenging about interior design, I can imagine, you know, I work with a lot of graphic designers and I think it's the same is like you have these ideas in your head. And you're trying to explain them, but you're explaining them to someone who doesn't have the same skills as you in terms of being able to kind of visualize something. And these are big, big uh, decisions people are making, and it's big money that people are spending. So to be able to use VR to actually help people plan and share and and review those types of designs, I think is genius. And I do remember that Sirius Labs in Edmonton, they started as a way of showing people what a, a building was going to look like at kind of like that pre-development stage when they mm -hmm. were looking for either interest from investors or, or, you know, developers or things like that. And so I think this is just a little bit easier because I could see there being many more customers for it than something that is like such an expensive project, like a, a big development of some sort. I wonder what you think about 
Like to what extent are these all-in-one platforms a good idea for small business owners? I was kind of thinking of it in terms of the conversation that we had about truffle systems for restaurants. Mm -hmm. Is it good to have everything or is it better to just say, well, we just niche in on this specific problem that you have to solve? I think it kind of depends, but I mean, I look at kind of this subscription life that we're all living right now. How many subscriptions do you have? And you just mm-hmm. add them all up. And a lot of them probably overlap, and but maybe aren't exactly substitutable. And so you're probably thinking like, oh man, I pay all this money. I don't really need all these things, but now that I'm subscribed, I'm just going to keep them. And when I think about that for business, for a lot of businesses that aren't used to using technology in everything they do, I think it could get not only expensive, but a bit overwhelming when stuff doesn't connect or talk to the other systems. Yeah. And I think the more we democratize building software and how how easy it is for people to launch software, I think being a, an all-in-one platform almost makes you kind of have that silver sword that you need as a business owner um, or, or as, a, as a venture and reaching your customers. So I think about Jobber, for example, mm-hmm. right? Jobber, you could argue that there's a lot of substitutes for what Jobber offers you. And you could kind of build your own little suite of of subscriptions and and make that up using like, you know, QuickBooks and a bunch of other scheduling tools and things like that. But the fact that somebody on the road has to just look at one dashboard to get everything in their business, it just must make things so much easier. And I think the same for restaurants. And I, I think the same here with designers is like, if you can connect all the things that somebody needs on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to run their business in one software... Well, I mean, that just makes you harder to compete with. Mm-hmm. Takes some money on the other end to make sure that you can deliver on all those pieces. Yes. So and they're just at the beginning, but that, that I think that will be a, a challenge in, in the future. Yeah, I also really love uh, when, that this current collaboration with Artera, where they're like, you can walk into the virtual environment and see real Canadian art, well, like depictions of of pieces of of contemporary Canadian art on the wall, like how it would look with the stuff. Um, and that grew out of a connection that Abby made at the DMZ, the, the Digital Media Zone in Toronto. And I just it just reminded me that one of the biggest benefits of all these accelerator type uh, programs is that opportunity to collide with someone that you wouldn't have otherwise collided with and come up with a mutually beneficial collaboration. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, big time. You know, I think about what I'm doing at Field Notes and a lot of what we're doing relies on collaboration or partnership or shared learning. Um, And, you know, we see a lot of organizations popping up that talk about the fact that they're trying to build community. And it's actually really hard to build community, but it's very easy to be a platform where community can be built. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of that comes from just having a group of people that are focused on something similar and just having them in the same place. And so, you know, when I think about the accelerators, like I wish there was one for, for CPG, uh, yeah. consumer packaged goods. And I wish more specifically that there was one for alcohol, considering how many great distillers and brewers we have in the region. So I think, you know, at the beginning with a lot of these accelerators, I felt like they were kind of just all doing the same thing. But as we see them becoming a little bit more niche, I definitely think that's the benefit and it would be nice if we can, you know, see that there's some in there, there's enough in Canada that kind of help us, you know, foster the, the industries that we really want to foster around here. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll put in a plug for the Tech Roundup this week because it's got some important information if you're interested in in uh, um, signing up for Alberta Accelerator by 500 or the uh, Community Safety and Wellbeing uh, Accelerator. And they all have continuous uh, intakes and demo days happening uh, all the time. We'll take a break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll check in on an entrepreneur who's moving from virtual re- interactions into real life. And we'll catch up on people um, who've been involved in startup TNT lately. Bloom is brought to you by Edmonton Unlimited. Here's a message from our sponsor. Every solution starts with an idea. At Edmonton Unlimited, we're here to help you build that idea into a thriving business. We offer free foundational programs like Business Model 101 and Discover and Validate, where you'll learn the basics of entrepreneurship and how to map out each element of your business model. Then you'll be ready to understand where your customers are and how to validate and build out that idea. Along the way, you'll be connected with like-minded problem solvers and get hands-on support from experienced facilitators. Register today and start your entrepreneurial journey with our foundational programs and more at edmontonunlimited.com. This episode of Bloom is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business, and Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. So Clavis Studio is an example of a business that brings the physical experience of decorating a room into the virtual world. Taproot has a story this week about, I think, the opposite trajectory. Uh, Dive Through started as a journaling app to help young people connect with therapy and and um, healing messages. Now founder Sophie Gray is about to open a brick and mortar location called Dive Through Studio, where psychologists and social workers will meet with clients and, and clients can get together with each other in real life and, and look after themselves uh, in that way. What do you think of that development? I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, not not in terms of a similar industry, but we saw Poppy Barley do that as well, where they Mm -hmm. started off with, you know, just e-commerce and then moving to creating brick and mortar stores. I think there's value in starting one way and and expanding into the other. Um, And I think the biggest thing is that brick and mortar is expensive and you have to pay rent every month. You're, you're dealing with bigger investments and it's hard to do that if you haven't fully validated your product or, or really understood where the extra benefit is to meeting in person or having an in-person location. So I think it's great that, you know, Sophie Gray has kind of figured out what's missing to really make her platform as valuable as it can be. And if Mm -hmm. that's, you know, a group of these outposts in different locations and that's how she scales, then I think that if it makes sense for the customer, then it probably makes sense for the business. That's a really good point because I do think that from what she told our, our reporter, Steph Dubois, this is what her customers were telling her that, that that that's what they wanted. At first, I kind of thought, "Wow, like an app that 
aims to like scale to world like to a global domination position and then all the way down to like a little storefront off white avenue that seems like a, a like a a smaller vision than what she originally started out with but she does have a, an idea of kind of like either franchising this or or spreading around the world so it won't won't just be one little storefront yeah. in in white avenue so Sophie thinks big. Uh, she's had lots of help to think big as well, like through involvement with tech stars and stuff. And so it'll be really interesting to see how how this new manifestation unfolds. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at in the retail world, uh, there's a lot of, you know, brands that start off as e-commerce and then they open up physical locations. So Glossier is one that obviously people are familiar with. And I think one of the nice things about doing it that way is that you can prime a market to be full of customers before you actually get there, mm. right? Because if you're already using her app and they're using it in these locations, first of all, you're collecting data on where might be a good good place to open up a second location. But then also you can seed information about that location well before you even start building. And so I think that gives entrepreneurs a bit more, a uh, little bit of a leg up in terms of you're not just opening and then hoping that people will come by, but rather you're going somewhere where you already have a loyal customer base of some sort. Well, Dive Through is a kind of health innovation, which gives me a segue into another story that Taproot has covered recently. The biotech company 48 Hour Discovery won the Edmonton leg of Startup TNT's Investment Summit 6. I don't think they have released the final amount yet, but they got at least $175,000 that night. And uh, Zach Storms of Startup TNT tells me to expect that initial $175,000 to go up significantly. Um, he said that what attracted the investors to 48-hour discovery was their drug discovery platform will serve the future of cancer therapeutics. So that's like a pretty enticing problem to solve. And if you think that you can put some money in to make that possible, uh, then uh, and you got money to do it, I think you would. Also, um, They've got traction. They've got, they've demonstrated that their technology works with, they've got customers and some of those customers are leading pharmaceutical companies. And so they were just, the investors were confident that Durda and his team could pull it off and um, get them a return. So thoughts on 48 hour discovery. Yeah. I mean, you know, I also saw on LinkedIn that uh, they've made a new hire at 48 Hour mm -hmm. Discovery. So Adam Brown, who was recently at Wyvern, has now joined that team um, as the VP of Marketing. So, I mean, obviously they've got growth on the mind, which is great. Uh, and I know, you know, Edmonton is such a place for health innovation. I think in the past it's been tough for companies to commercialize, but if we're solving that problem now and we're kind of moving further along in our maturity of that ecosystem uh, and that that vertical, then I think that's pretty exciting. Like, I don't know much about what 48-hour discovery is doing, similar to a lot of the companies that we talked to on yeah. Bloom. I learned, I learned a ton about them. Um, but the fact that they're already working with leading pharmaceutical companies and they've got customers, I mean, you're right. It's, it's a problem that a lot of people want to solve. And if we can contribute to that in some way in Edmonton, then, you know, what a great story to be able to tell in the future. Indeed. Uh, at that same summit, sketchdeck.ai and our friends at Yume got side deals. Uh, and so I think we should get sketchdeck.ai to, to come on the show because their pitch really 
um, persuaded me that they're onto something. And it's it's similar to what you were saying about Abby and Clavis. It's like niching all the way down to this one specific problem, which in, in SketchDuck's case is that there's a whole bunch of information that is locked in blueprints and like paper basically, or the equivalent of paper. And it takes a lot of work to extract that in order to deliver a estimate to a client for for how much something is going to cost to build. And so, and then once you like solve that one problem, then you can kind of expand to other uses. So it was, it was pretty interesting to me and, and I'm glad they got a little bit of money to, to keep going. Also on Startup TNT, Taproot readers may recall that Zach Storms and Tim Lynn were working on starting their own investment fund. So um, Zach tells me that they're targeting late December or early January for their first formal close. And but that same fund is is already participating in all of the winning deals in Edmonton, Calgary, Saskatchewan and Manitoba, which were the places where the um uh, investment summit six took place and they're also going to be pairing those companies with members of the investment network to help them kind of reach their next financial milestone if if that makes sense so they keep doing stuff over there huh? yeah i like it you know again we talk a lot about the fact that we need more capital in this uh in this city and and in the prairies in general and we do need capital we also need lots of great founders and then we need you know, very skilled people to help take those founders to some sort of scale. So I think we're starting to fit those pieces together a little bit better. And, um, you know, that gives me a lot of hope and confidence for for us in the future. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how big, do you know how big their fund is going to be this initial one? No, I, I should have asked that, but I didn't get that. So I'll have to probe him a little bit more. Yeah, well, I don't want to. I don't want to open a can of worms here, but I'm betting it's more than five million, which is what the city is proposing <laughs> in their edge fund. Uh, and I'll I'll save my opinion on that one. But I did read a great story about it in in uh, Taproot today, so yeah, uh, I encourage we'll other people to, to that. take a look. There's some some really interesting points in that story uh, from Arden Shea of Accelerate Fund. Um, they're worth considering when as the city thinks about putting five million towards. Um, investing in some way in in local startups so you can yeah. you can read that yeah five million uh, seems to be like a, a good uh number that they settle on for a lot of things around here it's like you know when you go to certain clothing stores and everything is always 149 dollars, and you're like huh, <laughs> is that the only number that that these guys seem to know so i think it's funny when i see see a pilot of something for five million at the city i i always kind of laugh a little bit but we'll save that for speaking municipally <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Shout out to our sister podcast over there. Well, uh, besides on Speaking Municipally, you can hear, learn all more all about these sorts of things if you subscribe to Taproot's Health Innovation Roundup and Tech Roundup and lots of other things. You can sign up for those at taprootedmonton.ca slash join and then you won't miss a thing. That's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this episode, as I'm sure you did, share it with a friend. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Davon Beaker and our cover art is by Vicky Biersinski. Bye. Bye.